Digital Dust is a history podcast about the stuff you learned in school with a perspective you might not have considered. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Dust. My name is Liz. I'm Katie. I'm Robin. I'm Patrick. Is your mouth full? Like, is there water? I was in the middle of drinking water. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That was entirely accidental. Well, we are done. Us four grads. Well, we're not really done, but for we have a break for a little while. I think I think we can all take a bit of a collective exhale at this point. Yes, you know. Yeah, the last month, we've been incredibly busy with all the different public history projects we've been doing, so. Yeah. Yeah. What's weird to me is that I've been in school for, like, the last probably 20 years of my life, if I'm counting daycare, Mm -hmm. and now it's done. I know. Yeah. It feels like I'm still going to go back to school in September, but I'm not, and I just, I I don't know how to feel about that. It's so weird. It's so weird. I don't want to think about the fact that in September, I'm going to be, like, unemployed and uh, living in my childhood bedroom. (laughs) Well, that's just a Good vibes, you know? But you'll be recording a (laughs) podcast, so you made it. Yes, and many, many reels. So many Many reels, reels. you'll be overwhelmed. It'll be so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I know. It's that weird feeling right now, because even though it's our break for five days i'm like looking around everywhere like i swear i have something to do what's going on why am i not at my computer so we've been saying that we're not done but done so what does that mean uh yeah we have an internship uh which is part of the program that lasts for the the four months of the summer and we get help getting the internship with the directors of the program and everything and it's our way to do to sort of like take what we learned in the classes and apply it to an actual job that could lead to a career later on which is pretty cool are all of us getting paid internships? I am unpaid. Oh, uh, Katie, we don't even know. Are you going to tell oh, us yeah, what I can yours now, is? I can now tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll t- so, okay, for context, everyone, I haven't told anyone. My parents think I am the meanest human alive. But I have, like, a suspicion about saying things out loud. It extends to, like, everything. Like, I'll watch hockey, and I can never be like, oh, yeah, they're doing well. Because that means that they'll turn around and do really badly. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I guess I'll start by explaining what I'm doing and then everyone else can go through what they're doing. But I'm, I think I'm a research intern. I have no title at the Holocaust Center in Toronto. Very Yay. exciting. Yay, yes. Wonderful news. Oh. I am unpaid, but that's okay because, you know, I'm living at home as previously mentioned, but they're creating a new, I guess it's a whole new building, really. They're building a new building on the same site and they're having a new exhibition hall and so they're doing all of the research into what's going into the exhibition hall so i'm just going to be that little mole in the background being like this is a very interesting story can we put it in and they'll be like maybe (laughs) thank you that's really good though that's That's awesome and and i think it's a good example of how like money isn't the the always the goal of the internship right volunteer experience is really great the connections you make are gonna be really great um, mm-hmm. And it's a way for you to have like literally like four months of good connections and, and good experience that you can that yeah. you can put forward later. And like the subject matter too, I'm going to be able to handle, well handle in quotations, this is all remote, but look yeah. at oral histories that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah, this yeah. is okay. amazing too, because this is in your field finally. Yeah, yeah. this is your thing. This is, <laughs> this is my thing. This is Genocide public is history and just Woohoo. But like yeah. both of your both of your interests in one thing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Boom, right there. So. Yeah. And it's big. Like that's a big 
like organization, right? It's not. It like... it is a huge. I had to go through so much security. It was so, it was such an interesting experience. Yeah, because I guess it's like sensitive information. Lots right. of security checks. Yeah. Do you have yeah. access to like their collections and stuff then? Yeah, so they don't have like a lot of collections collections. They're an education center, not a museum. So they're not actively collecting. They don't have a mandate. But a lot of survivors will leave them all of their things when they die because that's like a habit. And it's obviously the center in Toronto to do that. So they have some stuff and then they have about 400 recorded testimonies. So most of whom are Toronto-based survivors. So people like Ellie Gotts, who I know some of you heard speak read his autobiography it's called flights of spirit it's fantastic he's lovely but people like him have recorded testimony so it's like mainly testimony and then some objects and then you know going to like the jewish archives and being like can we have this photograph please they'd be like maybe like, thanks <laughs> always maybe cause. yeah you're like i'd really like it and they're like maybe and you're like get back to you in three months <laughs> bureaucracy <laughs> That's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. That makes me so happy that you got that. Thank you. Yes, I have a meeting so tomorrow. Cool. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so random. Wow. I know. It's actually happening, guys. I Why? know. I was so convinced it wouldn't happen. That's part of the reason I didn't tell anyone. I was like, nah, it's just going to fall through. They'll just stop responding to my emails at some point. No. No, it's no. real. So you got to so pinch good. yourself. Yeah, I know. Okay, so enough about me. <laughs> Somebody else explain, because we're all doing very different things. Yeah. Liz, go for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, my internship is totally different. Um, I was really fortunate to get an internship with a really amazing historic research consulting firm, and they're called No History. No is in K-N-O-W. Uh, and they're based out of Ottawa, but I'm really lucky to be working from home. Well, we'll see how I feel about it <laughs> at the end of the summer. <laughs> Probably going to be very drained. But yeah, so basically a lot of what I'm going to be doing is working with a lot of their bigger clients. So their biggest clients are the Métis Nation of Ontario and the Métis Nation of Alberta. And as a historic research consultant, essentially what you do is companies, clients, communities, individuals will come to you wanting some sort of historical research done. So it could be, hey, I want to know more about my genealogy, my family tree, or we want to build a building here and we need you to do all the research of the property who live there. Can we destroy it? Can we not destroy it? And even things like, you know, consulting on historic movies. Um, it really is a job that like you get to do so many different things. But what I'm going to be doing is file review for the Métis Nation. So what that means is people who, who are trying to claim Métis status or they are looking for permits and licenses to extract resources. So for example, if they're looking to fish or they're looking to gather food and medicine in a specific area that could be protected, that all goes through us. So we research it to legitimize the claim and then it goes out to see, you know, do you have legitimate genealogy that points to Métis ancestry? Yes. Okay, we can give you status and things like that. So it's kind of cool. I also got a personal research project. I have no idea what I'm doing for it yet. I had an idea that I went in with to the interview that they loved, but they were like, it's way too big of a project. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. It was like a big oral history project. So I'm looking for ways to either rein it in or like find something else to do. What's cool is the, the internship there has been pretty new and so far there's like two people who have completed it and both of them ended up getting taken on as really large projects. 
So right now, a public history grad and former intern there, she did a whole day research project on the water crisis in many different First Nations and Métis and Inuit communities across Canada. And now No History has turned it into a massive like charitable campaign and a social media campaign where they're kind of using informed historical research to like teach people more about the water crisis and why there are third world conditions happening in Canada that we consider to be a developed country. So yeah, it's really cool. It's a really neat company. I'm really excited to to work for them. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. It'll just be a lot of research. That's awesome. It sounds so cool. And yeah. is it six months? It is. So my contract nice. is up in November. Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> so I don't know how it's going to work with school because, like, I guess we'll just be graduated and then we'll just kind of keep working for them. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's actually that's a pretty good clarifying point where the actual – so, like, it's a course that we take in the summer that it, that yeah. where we go and intern in places. And so um, we so we have an assignment at the end. It's it's it, it's structured as a, as a course technically, which means that the internship has to last at least a minimum of 12 weeks to mm-hmm. meet the course requirements. Most of them last 16 weeks, which would be four months. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but that's why, for example, I don't I'm not starting at the, the beginning of May and it's still fine. Yeah. And so for Liz's case, I suppose what it is, is that like you do the internship for the 12 weeks of the course and then you just keep going. Just keep going. Yep. It's pretty keep great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There Super you go. Great. All right. Robin, go ahead. Yeah. Mine's exciting as well. I am going to be working for the uh, Engineering Institute of Canada as a, an oral historian. I've never really done this work before until we started this program. So I'm really excited to keep developing this skill. At the moment, it, this is a project that the Institute is taking on to preserve um, Canadian history around engineering. We're going to interview hopefully a bunch of people who have done significant changes to Canada and have made significant uh, developments in the field of engineering. So there's a lot of interesting people on the on the docket. Uh, I'm not sure if I can disclose it just yet, but um, hopefully at the end of the summer I'll, I'll be letting you guys know what's going on. I'm really excited too with um with these interviews I'll be able to not only preserve this history but share it with people and especially younger students that hopefully would be interested in, in uh, the field of engineering. I think it's a, an incredible field that more people should look into, especially women, and see that there's a, an opportunity and a space for them as well. So it's really great. It, it's not exactly what you think of when you think of history and public history, but there's something in almost every aspect of life that we can touch on in this field. That'll That's be like awesome. really interesting. You're gonna be so good at interviewing people. That's gonna. You're gonna know so much about engineering. You're I gonna know. be like yeah. that bridge. I know what kind of bridge that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I <laughs> can't name don't. a type of bridge. <laughs> That's one of those bridges that goes from one place to another over a chasm. <laughs> yeah, every time I see a bridge, I'll be like, oh, shout out to this engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Last but not least, Patrick. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Okay. So mine's a little different in a couple ways, mainly because I still don't have a, a confirmed internship yet, but it's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not like a, oh no, what do I do? It's actually really comforting. Essentially, I'm really interested in oral history. Um, I think oral history is fascinating. And I also just like talking to people. So it's a good time. No way. You like talking? <laughs> yeah. Who knew? <laughs> That's so surprising. <laughs> yeah. So I'm currently, I have a couple irons in the fire. I'm currently talking to the oral historian who works at Pier 21, which is the uh, Immigration Museum in Halifax, one of the biggest museums in Canada. And honestly, the, the museum in Canada that I think sort of jives most with my personal interests, um, mm-hmm. I, looking at like immigration, that sort of thing. It's a lot of social history. It's a lot of social justice history. 
Um, and oral history has a, a history of its own of being social justice related too. And so it just seems like a really good fit. And I'd be really interested in working there. Emily, if you're listening, please hire me. But <laughs> um, <laughs> in it. any case, the point is, is that the application for their internship is just coming out shortly and they're hoping to set it up mm-hmm. at the beginning of June, and which means that I have a sort of a month of waiting to see about that. Uh, but I have a couple other places as well. For example, Banting House uh, yeah. here in London. Um, I forget if I've said on this podcast, but I'm a diabetic. And... I think you have. No. Oh, wow. Okay, well, yeah, I'm a diabetic. Surprise. Uh, type 1. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, so anyway, so so 2021 is the 100th anniversary of insulin. And so Bantinghouse uh, is obviously trying to find some way amid the pandemic to, to celebrate that, especially by the fall, uh, by November. And so I think, honestly, it would be so fulfilling uh, for me to work four months at Banding House as a diabetic on the 100th anniversary project. That would be so cool. And so that one is sort of more tied up, more confirmed than, than Pier 21 right now. But the point is, is that I have a, a couple options, uh, both of which would be starting at the beginning of June. So stay tuned. Nice. And if you're awesome. interested, I can I can tell you when it happens. But the more important thing, I think, right now, the, the, the thing I can probably talk more about, I suppose, is there's an option with our program to take one final semester in the fall, it would be like September to December, uh, to write something called a cognate paper. Um, and the more I talk to people, the more I realize the word cognate does not resonate. People are like, what's that? What? It's not <laughs> it's a thesis, it's a thesis, I yeah, don't know. Exactly, think of it like yeah. a 50 page thesis dissertation instead of like 100 or 150 or 200. It's, a micro it's just 50, thesis. it's a 50 page paper. Yeah, it's a micro, micro thesis, exactly. That's a way better title. Yeah, that's yeah great. a micro Let's thesis. Let's that. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, but yeah, so that's why it's only uh, one semester as well, because it's a shorter paper. And so uh, what I'm doing for that, which is really exciting, is an oral history project about the black student experience at uh, at Western and sort of the history there. And so having interviews with, with black alumni and black former Western students in general about their experiences. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover. A lot of the questions obviously talk about experiences with oppression, things like racism, sexism, homophobia, all that sort of stuff. But I made sure (laughs) that the project was not just about talking about their oppression and seeing their experiences at western through the lens of their um, oppression from you know like white people and privileged people all that sort of stuff i like to describe it as uh the netflix conundrum which is if anyone remembers from the summer uh of 2020 when all the black lives matter protests were getting a lot of media attention streaming services like netflix started like uh black art sort of sections or whatever and all of it was just filled with like movies about slavery about segregation about you know uh, dealing with the police just like really sad almost sort of like trauma porn-esque sort of stories and everything and very few of them were just celebrating black art like just like a really great movie starring black people created by black people and that sort of thing and so um i wanted to really include that in the oral history project as well and really you know get at these people's experiences as people um and and some of the experiences being celebratory and, and loving and compassionate and how that that's really important to consider as well in any case uh it's it's a really exciting project uh, I'm doing a lot of the interviews for that, hopefully over the summer, that I can write it in the fall. Um, but the the larger point of this, which is really exciting, is that we're, we're really trying to sort of not just end with the Cognate, to try and continue the oral history project after the Cognate's finished, and to really use it in, in a public way. Uh, whether that's sort of like a website setup or or some sort of exhibit at Western, but but really like not just sort of house these interviews in an archive, but to take these like the, the recordings of these stories and actually use them in a way to acknowledge Western's past with racism and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, so that's cool. exciting. I can't wait um, to see like what yeah. the final product is. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little nerve wracking, honestly. It's it's 
I mean, like, I love talking to people, but like, we've all done oral history interviews for the program for one of the projects. We did an oral history project. And it's always a little nervous, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. just like asking yeah. people about their experiences. And I mean, you have to, especially from my perspective as as a like a very privileged person, considering that I'm white and a man and heterosexual and cisgender, all that stuff. When you're talking to these people, you have to understand that you're just a conduit for their voices and how that's really important. And, and there's there's been quite a few times in this project where I've really thought to myself, am I the best person to be like leading this project? Is this really where I should be? But with some wise words from some very kind mentors, I keep coming back to this point where it's essentially no one else at this point is, is doing it. And um, the purpose of a good ally, if you're, if you're really taking allyship to, it, to its core, is to make sure that something exists if it wouldn't exist otherwise. And so that's the, the kind of philosophy that I have to take to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, a lot of fun stuff. Let's just, I, I want to continue down that road because I don't think I've ever, like, actually asked you, what made you choose to do a cognate? Like, why did you choose that option? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, at first, I wasn't planning on it. At first, I, I went to Western particularly because there was the option to be done with the internship and that the internship was the end goal. But then, I mean, in first semester, I found oral history through the oral history project we did. And I was really interested in that. And then essentially the cognate, like the paper itself really wasn't what drove me to do a cognate. It was the, the sort of space it provided for an oral history project on the black student experience at Western and that sort of thing. The cognate gave me four months to be able to collect those oral histories. You know what I mean? So like, like I said, like I wanted to continue after the cognate's over. So the cognate is, is interesting and, and a fun experience for me to write something like that. But the end goal is really continuing the oral history itself. But um, you'll notice a lot of oral historians often sort of attach themselves to in- institutions like universities or museums to essentially like give them a space to do their oral history work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I mean, in some ways, I'm still really interested in the sort of like in the world internship-esque experience more than writing a paper, but the Cognate uh, gives me a really good opportunity to work on this project. And also, I mean, I like university, so <laughs> I don't want to leave yet. <laughs> Why leave when you don't have to? Exactly. That's literally it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like our internships, so we talked about four internships that are like vastly different in so many ways, but that kind of leads to a discussion of public history in general, in practice, and then also jobs that we've had that have been public history related and I don't know what kind of things can you do with a public history degree in the public so (laughs) if you know me you know that I'm obsessed with nature I'm a nature nerd I have a very crunchy granola person (laughs) (laughs) crunchy crunchy (laughs) (laughs) Patrick loves it that's, that's what you call people who are like hippy dippy, super outdoorsy, <laughs> crunchy, Hi, crunchy, granola. crunchy. Yeah. Granola. Well, like granola head, but I, I've never heard crunchy added to it. That's but I, really I believe funny. you. It's your term. I'm sorry. That just that hit me. <laughs> I'm a crunchy granola head. <laughs> yeah, I've always been super interested in nature and stuff like that. But I've also really always been interested in history, and I like never really knew how to bridge the two. But I've worked with Parks Canada. I feel like Parks Canada is my entire identity, and I kind of, <laughs> at least my personality. If you meet me, I'm always that person who's like, I work for Parks Canada! Blah, blah, blah. So, although now this summer is the first summer in seven years I have not worked with Parks Canada, which is really crazy. So I've worked with them since I was in... 10th grade. I was at a historic site for five years. It was beautiful, Victorian, restored home. That was really fun. I kind of outgrew it. And then I decided to go to a national park. So this past summer and the summer before that, I was at Georgian Bay Islands National Park 
uh, as an interpreter. So we do a lot of obviously talking about reptiles, talking about butterflies, all different species. But then we also talk a lot about history. There's a lot of really unique indigenous history at that specific site. A lot of um, archaeology, about 10,000 years of archaeology, actually. So I really encourage people to try and get a parks job. Although it's it's trickier, it's not as easy as just here's my resume. You do have to kind of really dig around the internet and figure out what's best for you. But they are always hiring and it's really great for your resume, but it's also such a good challenge. I think maybe just being an interpreter in general is a really good challenge for anyone who wants to be a public historian. Being able to communicate with the public, being able to kind of make stories and histories accessible. Um, if you're good at that, or maybe you try this job and you're like, I actually kind of suck at that, then like maybe you'd want to stick more in research rather than being with the public mm. and doing things like conducting oral history interviews or creating museum exhibits. So it's a really great way to figure out like what you really enjoy and what works best for you. And I think working at a park um, or at least like working at a spot that is not a conventional place for history so like with Robin and her internship doing like the history of engineering it's not something that you would think about when you're looking at history or public history but it's still really cool to see how it does work there um, and I think those spaces too are where public historians are needed most because there are people who maybe you know are able to be less confronted by history or at least kind of get along without knowing certain things about history and being in a space where maybe people aren't, you know, there to necessarily be in a museum and learn about ancient civilization. You can still be there and talk to them about history. I know I've had a lot of really interesting conversations with white settlers who come and they're like, oh, I heard you got an Indian burial ground here. Oh, and you have to be like, the Ojibwe cemetery? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. It's brutal. I've had people ask me if I'm indigenous. Uh, I am 100% not. I am a settler. I'm I'm very informed with that. And then you're always like, you can't ask people that. Like, so anyway, yeah, it's quite an interesting job. You meet a lot of people from a lot of different places. It really is a good way to kind of prepare yourself for public history or again, see if it's something that you really love doing. If you really love talking to people, then public history is probably a really good yeah. thing for you. If you love history, if you love talking to people, be an interpreter, see if you like it. But yeah, that's my spiel, I mm. guess. <laughs> yeah, I can cool. I can add to that since that's like the similar vein to mine. I've been working in museums for what feels like a long time, since 2017. And pretty much yeah. all of my work's been interpretation. And like Liz said, this is the perfect job. If you are interested in history or even just some sort of subject that is displayed in a museum and you want to find a way to communicate that and be that bridge for the public interpretation is the spot for you and the stuff like not just the information you get and the opportunity to talk with the public but the stuff you get in contact with firsthand is so amazing working at the nature museum i talk about that all the time i would get in contact with uh with fossils with specimens even live specimens we had a, a live butterfly exhibit i would spend like two Ooh. hours a day just standing in there and they're like oh what you doing i'm like working like that's my job just to hang out with butterflies <laughs> yeah. and talk about it it's amazing that's awesome another fun thing you can do with a historical interpreter is in a lot of living history at a at a federal site saint marie among the hurons and it's so much fun stepping back in time and actually not just learning about the history but being right there in it if you're already passionate about something and you're living inside of that past it just amplifies 
everything to 100. So not Mm. only are you having a great time on the site, learning about something you love and sharing it with people, you'll become that person that talks about it all the time just because you've been so embedded in it. And you you really, you start to get it. Like it's not just words on a paper anymore. It's right in front of you. And people will feel that passion. Yeah, it really doesn't Definitely. feel like work. You'll be laughing the whole summer long, just being as if I'm getting paid for this, as if I'm just spending my whole day talking about something I love with people who actually want to hear it. Yeah, I think something really interesting about public history is really it's, I mean, at its core, it's a way to take history from sort of an ivory tower perspective and bring it to the public, bring it like, you know, sort of make history accessible to public audiences. Absolutely. That being said, I also think that... Um, public history and history are not as separate as people often make them out to be, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? That like is the opposite of public history, private history, you know, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Secret history. Right. You know? And so I think that uh, obviously the point of, pr- of public history was that for a long time, you know, history was sort of contained in the university system and anyone outside of it didn't really have, have as much access. And the, this was the way to do that. But I think especially sort of just in our present, I think that public history has a really good place sort of connecting universities and the ivory tower history to, to the public, not in being separate, but actually being a bridge, if that makes sense. So sort of going back to, to the oral history project that I'm doing in the fall, it's that sort of idea that I'm I'm sort of like keeping semi within the university system and the university environment, but I'm doing public work and I'm trying to sort of like bring this history to public audiences at the university and outside of the university. And so public history can be really, really useful as sort of a tool and, and a job to really connect people and universities together. So people who wouldn't otherwise be at university, but, but connecting that knowledge. And so it's not that the knowledge of public history is separate. It's not that, I mean, public history can sometimes be simplified and uh, misconstrued and nationalized and politicized and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, sort of connecting it with, with university history, which also has those same problems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, connect, but connecting the sort of principles of academia uh, and, and principles uh, that, that underlie history research and connecting that with the public in a more direct way. I think public history has a really interesting role to play there as well. Nice. Um, I didn't work in any public history anything before coming to Western for the most part. I worked at the same... This was brought up in the first podcast, I think, if I remember correctly, but I worked at a plastic surgery clinic. Oh, yeah. So ask me all your questions about plastic surgery. Yeah, Mm -hmm, that's hilarious. mm -hmm. Good times. um, Great customer service. That's anytime people are like, what did you get from that? Like the knowledge of what a brachioplasty is and... Great customer service skills. Yeah, take a guess at what a brachioplast. I know this is not relevant, but just take a guess. It sounds like if you've broken something, you're like, please fix. Wait, need a fix. Brachio- it's break, um, B-R-A-I-C-H, I think. I could be wrong about that. I'm sorry. Brachioplast. Oh. It, ooh, so, sorry. Okay, wait. Is it a thing? Is it like a physical object? No, it's, it's a type of uh, surgery. There's like the rhinoplasty, which is your nose. Well, no, but what kind? Ooh. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Abdominoplasty exactly. is a tummy tuck. Yeah. So say the word again. Sense. What's the word? Brachioplasty. 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 It's I'm... um the underarm. Oh, you know no. how people when they get old they get Our flabby underarms. I see. Yeah, the little bat wings. Yeah. yeah. Tighten those up. Um, yeah, that was just an aside about a, a brachioplasty, which oh, is the fun, fun fact of the episode. 
it can be yes whip that out next time you're having a conversation you're like but do you know what a brachioplasty is i didn't think so that's right um but i did do volunteer work mainly actually outside of like what public history is generally i really want to work with kids in general love education was almost going to be a teacher at one point so i did like a lot of work with kids I volunteer at my old high school, like things like that. If you're interested in public history and you're like, but I've, I've never worked in a museum or whatever, bruh, public history is like everything. And also all the skills that you gain working in fields that you don't know about, you know, like being able to be like, yeah, I could confidently tell people if they should get, su- not if they should get surgery. For legal reasons, that's not true. But, <laughs> you know, I can be like, yeah, like, this is what X is. Being able to flex those muscles katie you are so right because um believe it or not my first museum job i got it because i was a skating instructor they're like you were a skating instructor yeah i used to to figure skate competitively what i know (laughs) i'm sorry this is the first we're hearing of this you hold up (laughs) you guys would have known if like school was open and we had the rink i'm always there on free skating hours so i'd be like with my skates in class like oh i'm just gonna go to the to the rink for two hours bye wow but yeah i can't skate for shit me neither so bad oh my god look at us (laughs) i i i can't no you can't no people have tried and failed it is not possible wait i i'm i'm down for being taught how to skate by robin if we can all like cling on to robin while she skates then yes honestly yes yeah see that's the thing i would get you off the boards that was my job i've gotten so many kids off of like what do you call them board huggers (laughs) that's me girl i am sweating just thinking about it 23 year old board hugger right here yep (laughs) oh my god i am shaking right now i can't do it (laughs) but yeah that's uh that's how i got my first museum job but they're also like oh you've shown that you have the ability to teach and that's what we need out yeah. of this interpreter position. So if you've been a tutor, if you've been some sort of coach for sports, anything, or if you have the opportunity coming up, take it. This is like a, a great stepping stone for something within education or interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, too, that's what's awesome. great is you don't have to. Obviously, getting paid is nice, especially in the summertime. Having money is very nice. I've been really lucky that I've also been able to volunteer, too. So mm-hmm. I volunteer at Banting House, which is where Pat might be doing an internship, might not. Um, but little local museums like that, they're always looking for volunteers. And especially oh, yeah. if you're looking to kind of try your hand at different things. Grant, who's at Banting House, he's a curator there. He's amazing. He has always put a lot of trust in me and allowed me to help create archival finding aids for them. Uh, recently, I just did an entire digital exhibit for them, also about the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin through stamps. I had no idea about stamp collecting or philatelics yeah, is the awesome. scientific name. And I learned all about Ooh, stamp collecting, yeah. like things I never would have known. I got to like handle all these really cool rare stamps too. So all of that is just because I went in one day after like taking a class trip. Actually, Patrick was there. And then I was, I was like, there, oh, this yeah. is really cool. And they have so many volunteers. So I went in and I was like, hey, this is my background. I, you know, I want to do tours. I just want to do something to like get involved in the community. And they're like, yeah. So another really great way is just like go and volunteer. Museums are always yeah. really needing volunteers and they're not going to say no to you. If they do, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I don't know why they would do that. Try another museum after that, but. <laughs> yeah but it's a really great way to get involved especially too if you're looking at grad school or, or you're looking to get an actual job in public history having just something on your resume is is better than nothing oh completely yeah and this is like sure. your first chance too to try out 
uh, like or get a taste of these jobs yeah. that you're thinking you might be interested in because maybe you won't be doing the work of a curator but you'll be working right beside one maybe and you'll be seeing all what they're doing and either you're gonna love it or you're gonna be like that's not for me but i'm seeing what this person is doing and that's cool yeah, yeah. for sure and and i want to really emphasize what let's just say about like community museums and heritage museums and small museums much like small businesses they need support they don't get a lot of money they don't you know get a lot of uh, support in other places and so volunteering there is a really really great way to sort of keep your own community and, and and local history sites going and also because they're so small they give you the opportunity to do so many different things where like if you're i don't know if you somehow get a volunteer job at the rom or something you're probably not going to be handling any artifact you know all in all it's just that with smaller museums you, you would have the opportunities to volunteer most likely to work with collections or to help even design tours yep. Um, or, or things like that. Like you can really do a lot and learn a lot of things, um, which would be again, great for, for resumes, great for experience and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, a volunteer at the ROM if you live in Toronto and plan on living there for more than 12 months, it's actually pretty fun, but it's like the complete opposite of what Pat was just saying, because they have so many volunteers. Oh, yeah. There's so many old people, <laughs> love old people in Toronto who don't have anything else to do with their time. And they're like, let me just volunteer at every institution ever. And they're also a, an institution that's like run by volunteers, man. Everyone you see in the ROM who's not like a security guard or the person selling you the ticket is a volunteer. And it's like a whole bureaucracy of volunteers where it's like each division has a head. And if you want to do a job, you have to talk to that person and be like, I would really like to do this. Sure. It is really cool. I did mostly kind of skipped a lot of these steps by volunteering via U of T because I went to U of T. I lived literally right beside the ROM. It was a three-minute walk. It was chef's kiss. Big flex. To walk like in and out. <laughs> I know. Big flex. I lived in downtown Toronto. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now you're in the closet And now I'm in a closet in Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. My childhood bedroom. There you go. Um. But yeah, like it's it's really interesting. They have a lot of like really cool volunteer positions. Obviously, because they're a big institution, they get to do more interesting things because they have money. But yeah, you trade off like with public history jobs in general, the bigger the institution, the less scope you get to do as an individual because of bureaucracy. But, that was the same thing yeah. in Ottawa at the Nature Museum. Like you could do interpretation if you're interested in that. But if that was not your gig, you could actually be working behind the scenes with um, scientists and helping them catalog stuff cool. in the back. Yeah. You could be like, yeah, that's not working with kids. Not today. Thank you. <laughs> not today. I'm going to go work with a scientist. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Professionals. <laughs> Talk yeah. about range. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. But there is a whole for them because of... Um, I don't know the maybe just the grandeur of the museum and the, and the work that you're doing there is a whole application process you do have to apply like it's a job yes. even though you're volunteering some museums are really particular i was once in a meeting with mike who is our internship coordinator and also the co-director of the program and he was like a lot of museums are really particular especially big ones about who they take because they have the option to so like mm -hmm. being a volunteer at a museum isn't nothing no they chose you you're yeah. actually probably worth more because you're doing it despite not being paid. <laughs> yeah, that's and true. they like care about you more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I think we're really honestly at a societal level, I think we're really just taught that 
like we don't matter <laughs> not to get really dark or anything but you know what i mean and all my emails back and forth with with pier 21 they, they keep saying things like thanks for your continued interest in our in our museum and i'm like thank you for speaking to me are you what am i doing like come on yeah. but it's earnest it's honest it's like you know mm-hmm. when you're in and public history is so small is that when you're in this world people are happy that you're there and and it's a really nice sort of collaborative feeling in that way so yeah especially young people especially young people they love it when young people are interested in history everyone wants more young people engaged Mm -hmm. um the ago has like a whole youth project group where you get to be like a working group for them which is free labor but again this is all free labor so but it's all good it's under the guise of volunteering so it's not illegal exactly (laughs) but in in reality (laughs) in reality they want your ideas they want these new perspectives exactly especially now hopefully yes yeah just put your foot in the door get your name out there Mm -hmm. tweet at a museum and be like hey i want to work for you and see what happens so much more doable than you think it is like you're looking mm-hmm. at these people working there and you're like, oh, I wonder how they got it. Just go to their website, type in, or I go to Google sometimes because they kind of hide it within their website, but you just type in the museum name, yeah. jobs, and it'll mm-hmm. bring you right to that folder. Yeah. And it's there. Yeah. They almost always have jobs yeah. available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Also, just be open to chaos. Yes. <laughs> embrace the chaos. I'm, I'm not kidding. No, but like legitimately, <laughs> like like so many times you hear, you know, people like, it, in, a, in, a, in an understandable way people ask like how do i get where you are or like how do i get to a museum job or anything like that and legitimately so much of it is just trying something and seeing if it works and so like yep. you really have to understand there is no checkbox there is no list i have spent so much of my life trying to figure out how to get the thing that i want and it's just it's never it's never as simple as just doing step one two three four five like you literally just have to embrace the fact that that you're just going to try stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and as long as you stay true to who you are, as long as you stay true to what mm-hmm. you want to do and, and your morals and your ethics and your principles, you'll you'll end up okay. Because I agree with Patrick. If you ask any museum professional, they'll all tell you a different story about how they got to where they are. So it's hard to follow a pattern. But one pattern mm-hmm. that would be helpful is Young Canada Works. Check it out. Sign up. There's a lot of great yes. jobs there. Sign up. And I've, I've even spoken with people. They're saying like the jobs you get off of this website, like they're jobs that aren't even offered to regular people working there. Like you're doing work that no one else gets access to. So this yeah. is like an amazing opportunity. Sometimes you get paid, but you get into these museums that aren't posting on their websites if they have jobs, but they're posting through the government that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's a really good point to think that there there are definitely tools out there and there are definitely like resources that you can use in the process. I came into the program wanting to do history movies because uh, I have like a theater background. I was really interested in like narrative history and, and that sort of stuff. But then through a project that I did that I had no idea I was going to do, found a passion for oral history. And then I accidentally stumbled on a place where I could look at oral history and uh, black history and public history, all of my interests. And now suddenly I'm here doing a thing that uh, I would never want to do anything else right now. Like this is exactly where I want to be. And a month into the program, I had no idea this is where I was going to end up. And and now I'm here. And so like literally take the preparations, take all that stuff. But you just, you know, just welcome things that come by. Yeah, exactly. Be open. Just welcome things that, that, that come up. It's so true. Um, and see what they I did the same yeah. thing because like, I didn't even do a, a history degree. At <laughs> first, I was really interested in museum studies. So near the end of my undergrad I was like oh I really want to go to like U of T's museum studies and like be a curator blah blah blah. and then I was like I don't really know like if I actually want to do that it's very limited 
And so then I was like, hey, public history, I can do everything. And, and then I went in and I, at first I was like, again, I want to be a curator. I want to work in collections, whatever else. But then I realized that, oh, I'm actually really do love research. And I wanted a job that kind of felt like kind of like school because I love school. I really do. I love writing and researching and all that kind of stuff. And so then when I was like, oh, you can like do research for a living, and do your own projects and be like learning. And what I love is about research different projects is that you're always learning something new. All of the projects that we've done throughout this whole, our grad school year has just been like the most random things that you didn't think that you'd learn about. Like we just did a heritage designation project learning about these random houses that you would have walked by on the yep. street and be like, it's a house. But in reality, some of them have these really cool <laughs> histories. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I, I can do that. And I can make a living and I can, like, I think I'd be pretty good at it. I might hate it. I don't know. That's why I'm trying it. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that's a thing. I mean, like, I find that as long as you listen, I hate saying it, but like, as long as you really listen to your inner voice or your heart or whatever you want to call it, you're going to just kind of stumble into what you want to do or what you're good at. Because that's what I've done. I literally just, I took a public history course in my undergrad, the one full year course with Mike, who's also the, again, the director of the program. And I was like, yeah, I really like this. I'm going to apply. And now I'm here. <laughs> so it's really crazy Boom. just just yeah do what do what feels good and just yeah with follow with reckless abandon <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if i could say like one last thing i think really what this can all be boiled down to is and and i think we can all relate to this fear but you don't have to know what you want to do yeah. <laughs> that is the thing that has haunted me my whole life is like <laughs> if i need to know what i want to do so i can do all the things to get there it's helpful mm -hmm. if you like know you have some sort of interest in general or something, I suppose. But overall, really, yeah, if you welcome yourself to this chaotic element of it and, and if you just sort of say yes to things and, and uh, you know, be open to things around you, it's okay not to know what you want to do yet. Like if you're in grad school even and you don't know what to do, it's okay. <laughs> Um, because as long as, as like Liz was just saying, as long as you listen to your heart, as long as you sort of stay true to yourself, then, you know, you'll find something. Because rarely do you, like, rarely does anyone ever find the thing. Like, the thing doesn't exist. Like, you, you find something that interests you and something that you love and, and you're golden. Or and that's some okay. things. A lot of people or take on things. a lot. Some things. Ooh. Like a podcast. Whoa, like a podcast. Or maybe, maybe you're me and you decided that you wanted to help people in high school and that the only way you could help people mm. is if you become a doctor, but then you failed grade 11 math miserably and realized that you, you, you're never going to be able to go to school for medicine. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, media studies, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm sure there's a whole out there like that where they're like, okay, wait. It's so I true. I wanted to be a vet when I was younger. Yeah. And then the thought of hurting an animal, I was like... Okay, wait, that's not it. Oh. oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean I'm not petting them all day? Yeah. Yeah, it's not all just putting band-aids on and giving treats. Yeah, so I mean, like, I know a lot of people feel that. Where it's just like, oh, I want to do something that matters and that helps people. Whatever the hell you do in your life, you're going to be helping people and you're going to be doing something that matters. So don't do something just for the money or just because you think that's what you should do. And especially, too, with your undergrad degree, I really felt a lot of pressure applying to undergrad. Like, okay, I got to pick the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. No. I was lucky I didn't switch my major. I added on a double major with on literature, which made me really happy. But I had friends who were in like business and then they switched right to psychology. Like it's so easy to, yeah. Literally, hey Robin. <laughs> literally been there. Robin's like, 
that's me. Oh my God, that's my life you're saying right there. Literally. <laughs> Robin is living proof that it's yeah. so easy to flip-flop and change. Almost everyone oh changes some aspect of their major in the first year. So yeah. don't be afraid to make and mistakes. And you're not like you're not letting anyone down. You're just being true to yourself. If this is not for you, there is something out there that is. You don't have to do something because it's practical or you think it's smart. Yeah. You'll burn out so quickly. Yes. If you hate your job. That is exactly right, Katie. I just watch it happen to some of my friends. Won't name names. He'll never listen to this podcast. But I'm like, you're going off the deep end so quickly. Yeah, you have a lot of friends in business. I do have a lot of friends in business, yes. Some of them love their job and some of them are super passionate. And some of them are like, I'm doing it for the money. Like, mm, Maybe that's not the best choice. But you can, I can see the pain behind okay. your eyes. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> it's like dead. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I'm tired. Here in history, we're like, we're tired, but we're loving it. It's so worth it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you're like, I hate I hate looking at this house. It's ugly. But you know what? I'm happy that I'm doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about our jobs. We've given you some inspirational listen to your heart. I'm just singing like, that song damn. over and over in my head. <laughs> um, we believe in you. And then, you know, you got this. Uh, you really do. Inspiration. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm so bad. Read a book. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> read a book. <laughs> get a therapist. So do we I think that's the get, best thing. Transition to our last part here. Like, what's the future for our podcast? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. We talked about our futures. Yeah. Now, what's the future for the podcast? Heck yeah. Good news. Um, yeah. We're not canceling. Can you imagine if we're like, we've reached the peak, guys. So Goodbye. Fun. Yeah. This is the last episode. <laughs> yeah. We have jobs now. No. <laughs> yeah. No, we are. We're we're still here. We're still on air. I don't know if it'll be the next episode. Maybe we're hoping to bring on some guests, so you guys can meet other public historians, mm-hmm. other historians in general, and hear what they have to talk about. Uh, if you have things that you want to hear about, and they're not necessarily things we know, tell us anyway, because we might know someone who knows about that topic. That is true. You know. And if we don't know someone, we might reach out to someone random and be like, come to our podcast. Depending on what the yeah. information is, maybe we'll, we'll do our best to research it and bring yeah, it Yeah, maybe we'll flex those research brains. Heck yeah. Yeah. We went through five years of school. We can do research. <laughs> but yeah, we want to know more about like what you want to hear about. If it's a topic, if it's an idea, if it's an event in history, if you're like, I really want to know more about, I don't know, World War II. No one wants to know more about World War II. It's just a good example. <laughs> talk to Everyone your dad. Knows talk to your dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk to your dad. He knows, for sure. Any middle-aged white man on the street will yeah. do. Just get a couple beers yeah. and sit down. You're good. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, we, we want your feedback. So I think you can leave comments on Podbean. You can also comment on Facebook. You can tweet us. You can DM us. You can comment on Instagram. Our website as well should be in the show notes. So you can contact us directly there if you'd like. There's a little contact box. Oh, yeah. We have an email. We have an email. And I wrote the email down because we forgot it last week. And I wanted to actually have it because it's so simple. I can't believe we forgot it. It's literally the title of the podcast, the digital dust podcast at gmail.com. Follow our TikTok. Follow our Instagram. If you're new here from Instagram and you've made it all the way through this episode, I should say, congratulations. Welcome. We <laughs> love you. you. Yeah. Thank you. You made it. I love all the comments. Keep commenting. 
Yeah, there's a lot of new people out there. We're all sitting here like, oh my god, people are are looking at us now? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, literally. Uh, it's wild. It's really crazy. It's been mm. a joy. Uh, no, going going back to the uh, the like, what's the follow and everything, and what people are interested in hearing about. Um, a lot of what I know about in terms of like history expertise is actually more cultural studies <laughs> that makes it, or more or like more cultural things than actual history stuff. So, for example. Uh, if I were to do a an episode on something I know a lot about, like superheroes, um, yes. I think it would be more interesting for me to talk about race in comic books or gender in comic books than it would be to talk about the publication history of Superman or something. No. You know, yeah. so so I, I'm just uh, would listeners be interested in topics that are sort of historical, but from more of a thematic lens, so less about like mm-hmm. people or events and more about sort of. Um, more cultural ideas and that sort of thing. I would be interested in that. 100%. Yeah, me too. We're me doing too. It, well, then it's Yeah, we are happening. doing it. <laughs> we don't need to listen to you. No, this is for us. <laughs> We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Wait for the yeah, next episode. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. though, yeah. Uh, I think I can speak for all of us when I just say that we're really grateful that so many people are, are interested in this and have been listening and, and yeah. tuning in and commenting and saying such kind things um, mm-hmm. and supportive things. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. heartwarming. We love you guys. It's so heartwarming. So thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. We love you. Have a great day. See you on the flippity flop. See you on the flippity flop. Oh. Every time. See you on the flippity flop. Patrick forgets every time. I know. I do. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapuak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nation peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people who we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Matthias Miller. 